listening to Prime by Cortex. I'm your host, Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, JT. Hey there. Uh, and this is a show where we talk about uh, Cortex mechanics. We have interviews and discussions with various Cortex creators, both from uh, fandom themselves and actually just from around the community. But before we start our show, uh, we have a shout out on some news we wanted to give. So first things first, huge congratulations is in order here. Cortex Prime took home the silver for best rules after being nominated for several categories. Big win considering the competition out there and makes me even more excited for the game's future. We also wanted to give a shout out to a sister podcast of ours on the D20 Radio Network, Werewolf the Podcast, which is a retrospective podcast reviewing Werewolf the Apocalypse as the books were released. It's a critical examination and love letter to the famous White Wolf game. I myself have given a couple episodes a listen. Although World of Darkness doesn't have as big a space on my shelf like it used to is where I started in this hobby and honestly I didn't know too much about the werewolf side of things Uh, I had always delved into some of the other splats Josh Heath's podcast here covers some actual play but also deep dives into various bits of lore which is just frankly ripe for story hook opportunities but uh, speaking of love letters for this episode, we're going to be doing something a little different. Uh, we're actually going to be talking about love letters. Yeah, and I'm excited for this episode because it's going to be the first one we've done where it isn't an interview or talking about uh, trait sets. So that should be a nice change of pace. Love letters in tabletop gaming aren't unique to Cortex. I'm sure people have used them for Cortex uh, before, and that's actually what we're going to talk about today is how you can use them in Cortex. But let's talk about what love letters actually are. Love letters, if I'm not mistaken, originated with um, Apocalypse World, except I think that in the first edition they were called Catcher Uppers, but have since become love letters in the uh, second edition. But basically they're a way to introduce some interesting uh, mechanics that have happened while characters have been gone, or particularly like, you know, if a player has missed a session or something, sort of just a way to give them a little extra something, you know, that they didn't get because they weren't there before. Yes, and you can actually also use them, not just for players who missed a session, but you can use them to kickstart an adventure, uh, which is particularly good for a one-shot when you're trying to, you know, build so much context uh, right then and there, and use them if there's large gaps in time going. Uh, Say your adventurers have finally returned uh, to town after clearing out that mine of uh, scary spiders or whatever, uh, and they decide to rest for a few weeks, um, which is something I personally like doing because uh, I I like having large spans of time pass by in games in general, uh, but especially with your classic like fancy role playing game, it, it just helps me rationalize leveling up better. <laughs> but it's also good for that. I think that a lot of games sort of have not gotten on board with the idea of having explicit mechanics for like time passing or other things like that. So it's kind of like a hand wavy thing in a lot of games and you don't really get anything out of it, but except for like, okay, screen wipe. And now it's two months later and there's just no context for anything that went on in that time. 
you just sort of pretend like you just had normal lives or whatever, I guess. But, you know, it's not as interesting as introducing interesting events or developments for your character, like you said, you know, because it can be used for character advancement. And I guess we should also mention that the reason that they're called love letters is because the way that they're written, traditionally, you finish it off by saying uh, love and kisses, your MC or game master or what have you. I'm not sure what came first, whether it called itself love letters by by the time second edition came out. I am 80% sure that second edition came out after the community itself just started calling it love letters because even in first edition for Apocalypse World, it was just called the uh, catcher uppers, like you said, but uh, it, it was very much written out like it was a letter, right? And I th- the idea then was like you, you were kicking off this adventure, you were ha- uh, basically handing out stuff because uh, I think the love letter examples in the Apocalypse World book is just like, go ahead and start making your character. By the way, read this. You're going to tell me A, B, and C, or you're going to you're going to roll this, and then we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to start the adventure, that kind of thing. It's kind of nice because of the letter format. You can sort of address very specific types of developments to the different characters so that it isn't, it's not like a one-size-fits-all thing. It's sort of like one character is going to have appropriate developments, like they're a fighter, then maybe it would have something to do with them learning a new technique or skill like that. Or, you know, and then if they're, you know, a uh, technician of some sort, maybe they have taught themselves a new a new programming language or how to repair a specific vehicle that they didn't know before. So there's just a lot of options and you can add a lot of color to uh, that time passing. So one of the interesting things, I think, Kirby, because uh, I think you have more experience doing this in Cortex than I do. I've only really used it with Powered by the Apocalypse games. Normally, you know, in those games, it's in a format where it's a dear character, and then, you know, you would have them roll something. You know, usually in PBTA, it's a roll plus whatever one of the attributes is. And then it's the standard format of, you know, like on a 10 plus, you can do this, 7 to 9, you do this. So uh, I, I was going to ask, so how how do you handle the change in mechanics between something like PBTA and Cortex for Love Letters? Right. Uh, so like you were talking about for Powered by the Apocalypse games, you know, they, they very much have like a formula. And so really what Love Letters are often for pbta games is just like an extended overwritten moves which are basically like kind of sort of like if then statements if this happens in the fiction you do this uh you you take strain or you you make this role etc and then this happens powered by the apocalypse you know there's you have like a fail state but then you have like a state where you can have success but it came at some sort of cost and then uh, there's the state where you're successful and so when it comes to like any of the games i do this for i just try to like mimic those states and so for cortex i specifically just kind of centered everything around what the player would be picking for their effect die for a lot of the stuff oh interesting so like the size of the effect die or something determines the thing Right. So the Cortex Prime handbook does mention briefly like 
in or around the section where you're talking effect dice and you're learning about the effect dice that you can rate stuff as like the minimum amount of like effect that you need to like actually get that right and i think the example they gave in the book is just like oh this is like a d10 lock or whatever and so yeah i I wrote most of my love letters in cortex just centered around the effect die and having that kind of meet the various states and in a sense it's really not unlike the various like breakdowns that you see for recovery uh, when you're trying to recover a complication, right? They tell you that if you were successful and your effect die was bigger, then you recover the complication. And so um, I'm not going to go over that whole page, but that's that's effectively the idea that I went with is I'm just going to treat this as if they're recovering something, but the different success fail states are going to correlate to different options for the players or or mean different things. In some cases, I did specify like the size that the uh, effect die would need to be uh, as if I was comparing the effect die against the complication I was trying to recover. Interesting. So like how many options would you end up having then? Like how many different uh, effect dice values do you stat out for and you know i guess do you you do success failure and success at a cost sort of thing or do you make it binary i have certainly kept some of these love letters simple where it is like a very like binary success failure thing right and keep in mind as an aside you know with love letters it it, you don't always have to make roles if you don't want to have a role uh just like with power by the apocalypse moves those are very much not necessarily all roles you're, you're it's very common to have to roll something for a move empowered by the apocalypse um, but you very much have moves that just tells you that this happens right or that just tells you you have this array of choices and so with regards to uh, cortex love letters uh, the ones where i am having the player roll for something i've done everything from having a binary pass fail to breaking out to the, I think six or seven different states that you can have with recovery. Cause when you recover a complication, uh, you're successful and you have a bigger effect die, you're successful. You have a effect die that's equal to or smaller. You failed, but had a bigger effect die. Uh, you failed, but didn't have a big enough effect die or you failed and you rolled hitches. So probably should have counted that off, but I think that's what five or six, uh, states there. Uh, so I've done some, uh, love layers that immediately fit all those like various conditions where you're, uh, potentially rolling. Do you also do it where like the traditional love letters in uh, PBTA, like the, combination of, uh, success and, uh, effect die, tells you how many of a certain number of options you get to choose, or is it like a specific effect for each possible combination? Basically, I would write out these different options, uh, and maybe we can pull up a Power by the Apocalypse move, so that way we know uh, what that looks like for its origin system, so we have a better understanding of why I wrote it the way I did for Cortex. So just to preface, uh, D. Vincent Baker does mention that this was after they had missed several weeks of their game and came back together and they referred back to people and events that had already been established in their play for some context. So here's an example of one. Dear Lafferty, please roll plus sharp. On a 10 plus, choose two. On a 7 to 9, choose one. So the options were, you found someone else to work with now that Corwin's gone missing. 
Uh, second one is you've organized a charged battery for the helicopter. You have it in a box. And three, as yet, you know more about Scanner than he knows about you. And then he specifies that uh, on a miss, uh, choose one anyway, but not the one about Scanner. Love and kisses, your MC. Um, so as you can see there, uh, it's a pretty standard PVTA move formula. Um, but the move options that they give or the, um, the consequences for the move, the results have to do with uh, things involving the character and the situations that they had been dealing with in the game previously. So that is a way to sort of establish and move the plot forward, even when you have uh, missed sessions or if you just want to skip forward a little bit in time without having to do a lot of gaming. Uh, it's always going to be sort of tied generally to the specific situations of a particular character for each person's move. Right. And it's not set in stone. So like the example there was like choose two. I mean, you can write something up that says choose three and then you have like five options for them. Right. And you can absolutely have options where like, sure, the player is like rolling. But what's interesting about some of, of the uh, Power by the Apocalypse moves or love letters is that with some of these, you're kind of rolling to see how much you can minimize how much bad stuff is actually happening because it, it tells you that uh, you might have the reverse where it's like if you were successful choose one if you have mixed success choose two and if you fail choose three it might reverse that number because the options that you're given are all crap uh you might have an options like uh, the guards found out about your hideouts rumors are going uh, around about uh, your candidate that you're trying to get elected, et cetera. And so basically that, that sort of lot of layers is telling us that stuff has gone down and really what you're rolling for is not to prevent them. Cause unfortunately the stuff is happening, but really just to find out uh, what you did manage to prevent and what's still happening. And if you can imagine such a love letter where, you know, I had to pick between the guards finding out or the politician that I'm trying to get elected, uh, reelected, having bad rumors spread about him. Like those, if I didn't pick any of those and I went with a third option, that means all the options I didn't pick still happen. It's a uh, nice from a uh, GM's perspective because it gives them more control over the development in some ways because as you were saying you know you can phrase and set up these love letters to basically be about either getting good things or avoiding bad things and so depending on the direction you sort of want to take things with particular characters or the party as a whole uh that's totally in your control how you construct the choices and it's not just about like things that good or bad that are happening you can write love letters from the cortex perspective create assets or complications that the players are going to pick up as a result of their role which i would probably not do the you create complication thing too much especially if you're already going to be buying hitches from their roles for this but you can also have the options where players are learning new things uh, or uh, either pre-written things or things that uh, you just let them ask you, right? So I might have a list of, uh, of options um, of like pre-written questions that I wrote out, or I might like, let them just ask any question about the uh, situation. So were you saying that 
you could potentially buy up hitches for these love letters. Yeah, that's what I've done. Of course, I'm always keeping in mind like where we're at in the story in general when it comes to buying hitches. Because remember, with hitches, it, it's optional, right? You, you don't have to buy like the player's hitches. You can kind of decide not to. Oh, well, not kind of. You can decide not to, uh, which I personally weigh how much I'm going to buy a thing just purely based off of pacing. Because you shouldn't be afraid to buy hitches and turn a complication around on your players because that adds to the story. But from my perspective, like also, you know, there is such a thing as like pacing. We don't want to overburden players with buying up their hitches uh, if the love letter I wrote already has like a lot of like terrible stuff happening it's just kind of like dogpiling at that point so uh really that's just an assessment that you need to make but yeah i mean still cortex dice uh, system so they roll hitches i mean that still counts the same right yeah sure i mean i i guess it's really just up to the game moderator how they want to uh, handle that in a cortex game obviously so yeah um i think that that's a really cool way that you adapted these uh rules to cortex and i was wondering do you have any uh, examples of ones that you've done that you could share with us i do i have two examples here to hopefully get your brains going dear listeners uh to think about how you might want to incorporate level errors in your cortex game all right cool so uh, maybe we can break them down one by one or something yeah so both of these level layer examples are from the same game but we can absolutely tackle it one by one. So for broad context, the campaign itself was a Star Wars game that I primed, which I basically just reskinned the Tales of Exadia stuff uh, for the Star Wars game. And then for the actual adventure itself, I uh, I basically took Pathfinder First Edition's Hell's Rebels uh, campaign and reskinned that for Star Wars. Uh, just just because uh, that was like a side experiment for me. And so there's some super minor spoilers here. Nothing big because the uh, levelers were both levelers were written specific to the character and what they were doing. And really anything I mentioned regarding the main adventure was to just kind of build context. And both of these love letters were for players who had missed a session. So first love letter uh, is for a character L3V1, uh, Levi, who was a old uh, battle droid from the Clone Wars uh, that was reprogrammed. In the aftermath of the protests, hollow screens across the sector were greeted with a new edict that foreign ship captains cannot set foot on Kantarga 4. Outside of their ships and actual news on the protest itself has yet to be released. You left Arya Park in a hurry. L3v1, you had to make a tactical move, and you've been on the move since. Rumors are already spreading through the city like fire. Off-world communications are down, and the people seem to only fear two things. Stormtroopers and rumors of deployed battle droids. Your toilet contact with his dying words sent you a location to go where you'll be safe and where you'll be able to get the job that he wanted to hire you for. The employer can pay big creds and pull strings to get you safely off-world. There's a whole city between here and there to avoid. Tell me how you avoid the nose of stormtroopers or any of the local security forces, then roll a pull to support that. And then I wrote for my notes, 
On a success with a bigger than D8 effect die, create or bank a D8 asset that lasts a scene. On a success with an effect die that's equal to or smaller than a D8, choose one. On a failure, choose two. And so I wrote down three options. Uh, the first one, they were allowed to take twice if they wanted to, it was repeatable as it were, uh, which was simply take stress, stepped up for every hitch rolled. So right off the bat, you know, if they didn't already have stress in such and such stress track, they would be taking a D6. And then if they rolled hitches for this, uh, it, it would just get stepped up every time. And again, they can pick this option twice. But the other two options were uh, take, quote unquote, witness sighting complication as someone unimportant knows and reported you. The last option was you must leave something behind or have increased patrols in the district where your job is supposed to be. And so that was the level error I wrote for the first player. Just to sort of break down things that we've been talking about in the context of this particular love letter, how much of the events that you referred to sort of at the beginning of the love letter were think like were they all things that had been established already during play? Like did they already know about Kantarga for or was that something new that you introduced? Yeah, so Kantarga for is something that they already know. That's uh, the players already knew that that's where the campaign was. That player was there for the protest, but we ended that session. It was kind of like a half session. We ended that session after leaving the protests, and so that that first initial paragraph is me just establishing like the aftermath of that and just kind of catching up on where he is and i'm touching on stuff like it's not just the defense force on Kantarga for there are stormtroopers uh i touched i i mentioned rumors of deployed battle droids because i wanted to touch on something that happened in the first uh session that this player was a part of like i said l3v1 is a repurposed battle droid from the clone wars but this star wars game is taking place just before uh, i think yeah, just before the original trilogy, right? And so I had a moment where when the stormtroopers called that in, uh, he, the stormtrooper called in, hey, there are rebels here and they're using battle droids. Keep in mind, L3V1 was the only battle droid. So I kind of just touched back on that funny moment and also to provide myself with potential ammunition for later. I touched on his toilet contact, which is actually from his backstory, where in they had a Twilight contact that he was working with that died in that protest because the protest got violent, uh, if I didn't already establish that. Basically, I kind of geared this love letter to get L3v1 reunited with the rest of the players uh, who at this point had already moved on. So the job I talk about, the employer that can pay big creds and stuff, uh, that basically just circles them back to regrouping with the rest of the party. Nice, yeah. So I, I like how you included all of that context in there and you sort of tied in things from before that you could draw upon to uh sort of move things forward so i thought that was really cool and then i i noticed so for your moves then or for your options i should say because they're not really moves in cortex you basically had them creating assets depending on the effect die which i think is an awesome adaptation and it also uh, gives a lot more flexibility for the character to s establish the narrative based on their role too, and put it into context. So I, I do like that, uh, you know, player facing mechanical effect. I wrote these options uh, if they got mixed success or failed just to kind of one fail forward, right? So 
none of these options say that they got captured and they are yet again still like removed from the party because I wanted them to be reunited with the party. So this is kind of a fail forward thing, right? I think the specific player chose the first and second option because they failed. So they took on stress and uh, they had to walk around with the witness sighting complication, which I know I said that I reskinned uh, Tales of Zadia, which doesn't use complications last I checked, but I, I still like complications for this kind of thing. And yeah, they had to work with that. That would later play a factor elsewhere. And I basically wrote this because like, the city was on high alert right before we ended that session. The player had made the decision to go the opposite way. Uh, so I just kind of compiled all the bad decision making and and or all the failed roles into hopefully creating a more a more interesting situation as opposed to just punishing them, which I know at first glance, it seems like I'm punishing them. But I mean, all these options, in my opinion, just leads to fleshing out and making more interesting the uh, situation rather than just blandly arrest arresting them right yeah i thought that was great uh and i personally love failing forward both as a gm and as a player and i usually am pretty cool even when i'm a player with the gm introducing sort of a forward failure situation because uh then it sort of just raises the stakes and gives something interesting for the character to uh, deal with. So I, I don't think that uh, you did anything wrong there personally. So I wrote this one just for a player who uh, had actually, I, I, if I recall correctly, I had actually missed two sessions, but because they were reuniting with someone, I, I didn't feel like I didn't feel the need to uh, recap everything. They can just hear from the other players and their voices. And the second player that I'm about to read the love letter for uh, she had missed only one of the sessions. So she had the same context where like she left the uh, protest and I wrote the love letter based on her decision to follow after the party, even though she didn't interact with that, uh, with the player, other player characters at all. She decided to remain aloof and just kind of went with the flow, but kind of distanced herself or actually I should say themselves. I, I believe Zalia uh, which is the character I'm about to read for was they them. Meanwhile, Zalia, you're making your way through the crowd cloaked in mystery. You follow Flurry and Corridor, uh, which has inside were two other PCs, watching as the Mia workshop to share tea, discuss current events, and then step in as stormtroopers try to arrest Rex's Victo Cora, whose face you recognize from the hollow vids detailing the warrants for his arrest. Rex's and the crew dispense with the stormtroopers and your subjects of interest agree to ride with him with Toxic Rebellion. This is where you begin to lose them. As you're considering your options of following them as they drive away, you feel a wave of something odd, both natural and unnatural, fall on you, and your attention is drawn to the rest of the denizens in the city. Roll spirit or awareness plus any value and distinction that covers your observations of your surroundings. It seems something has dramatically changed in the city in the short time since the protests. I'm going to ask you how bad things are going. Uh, so I, I guess for this, for, for these two examples, I went like how bad things are going, but you can obviously take it the uh, other direction. Um, and for this one, I wrote on a success with an effect larger than D8, choose one, otherwise choose two. Uh, on a failure, 
with an effect larger than a D8, choose three. On a failure with equal or smaller size, take an emotion-based stress. And all the following are unfortunately true. And this is this kind of circles back to when I talked about how I kind of formatted it, like the um, uh, rules explanations for recovering uh, complications. Uh, that's in the handbook. Uh, and the options I gave were... Uh, one, patrols on the streets increase with local pro-empire militia. Two, the hollow news feeds ramp up propaganda and more of the city becomes pro-imperial. Three, the moff has locked down the docks. It not only costs creds to dock, reserve the space, but also costs creds to leave and all traffic is being monitored closely. Four, a call has gone out for more bounty hunters. Five, no one seems to know what really happened at the protests. You may offset this once by taking or stepping up stress. Uh, that that last bit wasn't part of any of the options. It's just me telling the player um, that they can voluntarily take stress uh, to choose fewer options. And so while I wrote another love letter that had a bunch of stuff that was kind of negative going on. This one's a little different. This one's kind of meta with it, right? Nothing the player character did actually had an impact on any of this stuff. Yeah, and uh, I, I really do like how um, you gave the option to take the stress voluntarily because that sort of gave the player more options in terms of how they wanted to move the story forward. So it wasn't just you know you forcing stuff happening it's kind of like they had more control over the direction that the uh plot would go yeah uh both for themselves and then for the overall campaign and i know i said like earlier like you want to make sure you're not dogpiling people by buying up their hitches and also making them take complications um in this case it was stress for me uh but that was the thing that was taken from tales of exadia which is the growth pool wherein you you do want to accumulate stress in order to advance your character. So I, I wrote the stress in here for these two love letters, in spite of what I said earlier, uh, because I wanted them to be able to potentially catch up on uh, growing their characters. Yeah, that uh, totally makes sense to me. And uh, plus, you know, it was voluntary, so it's not like you forced them to do it either. If they really were against growing their characters they could have chosen not to take that stress right so those were two love letters that i wrote really like when it comes to hitting players with love letters like this and they're only like resolving the one thing because you have a love letter that resolves multiple things i think in my personal experience whether it's cortex or other games i've done love letters for i it typically just takes five minutes per player. So it's not too much screen time from the rest of the group. And it's not too much of a delay in getting the game like actually started. Right. And um, just out of curiosity, how long did it actually take you to uh, write up all of those love letters? It's kind of a tough answer because, you know, like I'm typically just writing stuff in my head for just campaign notes in general. Uh, while I'm going on walks and stuff. But actually like sitting down and typing up once I had the idea took me like five or 10 minutes per player. I I think the hardest part was figuring out um, what those options would be and if that was the route that I was going for. I've done other love layers where, like I talked about before, where it's really, they just make a very simple choice and they tell me so that I know for a plot B situation, right? Uh, And we just move forward with the plot A. Uh, and I've done others where I've had players ask me questions 
and I've done love letters where, you know, the options that they do have, if I am typing out these options are positive. Uh, but when it comes to typing out multiple options, yeah, it's, that, that's probably the harder, longest bit of it. I, I, I want to say like between brainstorming it in my head and writing it, it probably took me a half hour per player then if we're counting all the uh, thoughts that were in my head about this. Yeah, but like overall, I guess that isn't so long. And obviously, it's going to depend on the GM, right? For uh, depending on how much like work and thought they want to put into it. But uh, in my experience with love letters personally, uh, which was mostly with PBTA systems, um, I was even able to just sort of like sit down, you know, maybe like 10, 15 minutes before a session and just sort of like sketch out really quickly a few, uh, a, a few different uh, love letter moves for each of the characters. And uh, that yeah. worked out just fine. So like actually, uh, just because I, I didn't mention it earlier, one of the main times I used Love Letters was in a Monster of the Week campaign. And that's obviously like a monster uh, hunting type of thing, kind of like Supernatural or Buffy, you know, those types of stuff. When I did my Love Letter moves, it was generally to develop some plot in terms of things that the uh, characters had been involved in or or interested in. So like there's one character whose background had to do with their family being killed by vampires. And so the love letter that I gave them had to do with basically things involving uh, vampire activity. And so I gave them sort of the choice about, you know, like, I think one of the options was that they could be more effective when fighting against the vampires, because they got like some sort of uh, new weapon that is particularly effective had another one where they managed to locate a new uh vampire lair so that added a, a possibility of adding in some uh, extra adventures into the campaign another thing that i've done also which i think works for pretty much any game where you're using love letters is i like putting in options where you can have developments between characters and obviously you know you don't want to force people to have interactions that they don't want but i would generally leave it kind of open-minded like choose a person or cho choose which character you know did something to you know help you accomplish x you know or, or things like that and so kind of like uh, how you can establish backstories in games like pbta games i did the same sort of thing with the love letter moves and I think that that can work out well to just have interesting narrative developments between players, because especially if you're missing sessions or if you're skipping over time, you don't really have the opportunity otherwise to sort of role play out or, you know, have things happening between the characters relationships themselves. Absolutely. And, you know, you talked about how you've written some love letters to, to effectively like seed ideas going forward but also like potentially have them already have some context in relationship with another character which can be really important for one shots or when you when you're kickstarting an adventure you want to start like in the middle of things right players are going to ask like wait why why am i fighting the, these goblins again why why am i doing this what, what's this contract you mentioned that that's about and you know you you as the game moderator can sit there and you can give them a wall of text or you can make them part of the decision makers you can make them uh be the ones that uh answer those questions and in turn have a better idea of what's going on and hopefully uh, more investment in what's going on since they themselves had to say in it in some degree. 
Yeah, I love it. And I, I think I wouldn't be off base saying that Cortex as a system does put a lot more emphasis than your average game on collaboratively telling a story and giving the players a lot of different ways that they can influence the development of the campaigns. Pretty uh, consistent with the philosophy behind Cortex, would you say? Yeah, I, I would say so. Absolutely. So yeah, one thing I was wondering though, Kirby, you know, we've talked about incorporating love letters into campaigns and that you don't need to do it just for when someone's missed a session. You can do it for time skipping forward and just, you know, you could probably just do it for the hell of it if you really wanted to. How often do you think is ideal to use love letters in your campaign? Like, do you think it's like, should GMs be doing that every session or does it really just depend on group and campaign or... Yeah, I would say it depends on the group and the campaign because, you know, you have groups that want to have either like actual downtime mechanics, which some games do have, right? You have other players who may not be looking at it mechanically, but want to be able to do some role playing. And really, you just got to figure out what's right for your group. I probably do a love letter of some sort for something or someone probably once every five or six sessions uh, on my part of things. Because I, I don't necessarily do love letters every single time a player misses a session. But I particularly like to do it when players have missed, you know, uh, several sessions back to back. Love letters has its place. If you want to use them uh, for everything, whether you're like me and you're trying to cut down on how much of a dungeon crawl you're doing in such and such adventure for such and such d20 system uh you absolutely can i've done that before if you want to trim the fat as it were uh or if you want to use it just sparingly i encourage you to do that as well the one thing i would probably say in terms of uh how often to use them i was i would say that if you're going to do it frequently then you probably want to make the options that you present the characters a little bit more open and subject to the player's decisions because otherwise you could end up sort of like forcing the plot to go in certain ways without there being any like character decision making or input to be able to like influence their actions or or to have their characters influence the campaign and the direction it takes so right. kind of like you did with being able to establish an asset but it was all based on the narrative that they construct the uh, effect that they got i would suggest doing something more like that instead of uh doing a lot of like okay you know all of these things are happening that's probably the one thing i would caution yeah we we don't want to write a thinly veiled choose your own adventure book right uh, that's, that's not <laughs> yeah. what this is for. Use them as often as it feels comfortable with your groups. But if you're going to use them very often, like, yeah, your your players should ideally still be feeling like they actually have a say. And these love layers can kind of throw that off if you're writing them in a very, like, narrow scope. Very cool. Well, um, thanks for sharing those love letters with us. Uh, since I hadn't written a love letter in Cortex before, that gave me a lot of insight and ideas into how I could do that. And I think I'll definitely try to incorporate that into my next Cortex campaign. So thanks again. Yeah, looking forward to it. If you want bonus points, you can actually mail it like an actual letter to your players. 
Ooh, man. But, uh, you know, then I have to buy stamps from the post office or something. I don't know if uh, it's <laughs> worth the effort. And you guys support the post office, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's about all we have with regards to love letters. They're, they're not a very complicated thing or any more complicated than writing anything else for your game, I suppose, I, sh- I should say. And yeah, the, to recap, there are things that you can use to kickstart a thing, to cover players who might have missed sessions, or maybe the entire group just hasn't met up in a couple months, or for some unfortunate groups for, uh, for a year or so, or to uh, cover large gaps in times. JT, uh, where can folks find us? Yeah, so we've got a few options, and you'll find them in the link tree in uh, the discussion notes. But uh, particularly, you can uh, email us at pbcpodcast at d20radio.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Prime by Cortex. Uh, we have a nice uh, Facebook group if you want to get in on that action and discussion. And we have people posting questions and uh, show ideas sometimes, so you can get in on that. And, of course, you can find us on Discord, both in the D20 Radio server and as well as the official Cortex server that we're members of, you know, run by uh, Melly and Cam and some of the other fandom and Cortex people. Well, thanks for joining us today, dear listener. Uh, We'll see you next time. See ya.